Father, we love you and we're just so thankful that we're yours, that we're taken care of, Lord, that you've captured our hearts, that uh, you paid the ultimate price for us, and that ultimately, God, you, uh, you love us with an everlasting love. You make promises to us that you'll always keep, and for that we are, we're just thankful this morning. Well, good morning. My name is Scott. I'm the, the student pastor here. Uh, this is, like, na- like Pastor Chris said, National Youth Pastors Preaching Day, because I think pastors just like to sit back after a nice Thanksgiving meal, watch some football, enjoy a victory uh, from yesterday. That's right. That's right. My team didn't, as usual. But, uh, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's, this is a great weekend, uh, Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. Uh, today, if you even think about it right now, we are only uh, 26 days from Christmas. Uh, 26 days. Tomorrow is December. Keep that in mind, husbands. All right, 26 days uh, till Christmas morning, which also means 25 days until our Christmas Eve services right here at Coastal. Uh, with that, I just wanted to remind you uh, to make sure you have selected what service that you want to go to, the 5, 6.30, or 8 o'clock on Christmas Eve. Uh, out here in the Welcome Center, there is a table uh, with tickets. You just sign your, your name and how many tickets you're taking and grab those tickets uh, for whichever service. And that just helps us to be able to kind of spread them out the attendance uh, over those three services. So make sure that you find the, the time that fits you and your family best. Uh, if you have children, they're going to be uh, down at Coastal Kids and Nursery and things like that. You don't need a ticket for them. It's only for those that are going to be in here. Uh, but maybe you've got a family member or a couple of the, uh, some friends of yours that you want to invite uh, and you want to take two tickets for them and make sure uh, to be able to use those as a tool to be able to invite them and to be able to hand those to them uh, and, and get them here on Christmas Eve. Uh, so, uh, this weekend, Thanksgiving weekend, Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays, and a couple reasons why. Uh, one is because I love Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, it's like the turkey, the mashed potatoes, the stuffing, like all that stuff. I love Thanksgiving dinner. And uh, I even would say, I would go a little more extreme, that if I was on death row in my last meal, it would be a Thanksgiving dinner. Like, that's how much I love uh, Thanksgiving and the chance to get to eat. Uh, You know, like, I don't think that you should eat anything green on Thanksgiving Day or Thanksgiving weekend. I think that's just a sin in itself. Not that I eat a lot of green anyways, but especially not on Thanksgiving. That's just wrong. I like a real brown, gray, white-looking plate of stuff. Uh, it's, you know, Thanksgiving for me as a kid growing up and even now is very important. It's very special uh, to me, and it holds a lot of just family history and memories and things like that. Uh, for me, uh, my entire uh, childhood and my life, we've always gone to, uh, to my grandmother's house on Thanksgiving, and uh, it's my grandma Love, and we don't call her Grandma Love because we love her. That's actually her last name. Uh, my mom's maiden name is Love, kind of cool. Uh, my, my uncle's actually a, a pastor, and his congregation's always, call, always calls him, you know, Brother Love, you know, kind of thing, so it's kind of cool. Uh, but we always go to Grandma Love's house. Every Thanksgiving, uh, we would get up there, uh, my whole family, which uh, we have a very large family on my mom's side, uh, and we'd have grandma and grandpa, and we'd have, uh, they have five kids, including my, my mom, so then there was their spouses, uh, and then grandkids, which I'm one of 16 grandkids, uh, and now there's our spouses, and then there's now our kids, where there's, I think, if I count correctly, probably around six uh, great-grandkids, uh, but then there would be other people that would come, family, friends, and things like that. We didn't know ahead and we were from like 25 to like 35 people at my grandmother's house. 
And uh, we would stretch out these long tables, so we we're all sitting around this, you know, just one big, huge table. And, you know, my grandma, uh, she is an amazing cook. Like, you know, like Chris Tomlin's going to lead worship in heaven. My grandma's going to be the cook in heaven, in case you were wondering and preparing for that. Uh, she's going to be there. She's going to be cooking it up. Uh, but she is a, a great cook. And uh, so whenever I think of Thanksgiving, I think of my grandmother, for one thing, because of all the work she would put in every year. And I'm just making this just this feast. Uh, you know, and that was kind of our tradition. We would come, we would eat around this table. We would then, you know, take a nap, watch some football, come back, eat some more, uh, and then we would play games and things like that at the table. It was just a, just a great time of tradition and family. Uh, and many of you have traditions in, in your own family. Uh, you know, does anybody have the, the tradition where you, like, you go around the, the table before you eat and kind of like, you know, here's something I'm thankful for. Anybody do that? Some people, yeah. Uh, you know, like my family, we don't do that because it would take like an hour you know, with that many people. And we're like, man, I want that food. And it would be like cold and it would be terrible. So uh, we don't, we've never done that just because it was just a huge, large family. Uh, maybe you have traditions of things that you have to, you know, you have to have at Thanksgiving, you know, certain plates or certain meals, certain type of food items and things like that, you know, whether it's turkey, whether it's stovetop stuffing or whether it's the other kinds of stuffing or whatever it is. Uh, maybe it's the pecan pie, not the pecan, pecan, okay? I'm not saying pecan is wrong. I'm just saying that it's wrong, okay? So like whatever it is that you've got to have, you know, like that's your tradition. That's your thing. Now, why this uh, is important for us today is because no matter where you go for Thanksgiving or who you're celebrating Thanksgiving with, there's always kind of a common central theme or central uh, part to that Thanksgiving meal. And it's not the turkey. Beyond the fellowship, there's one important thing. It's the table. You see, the table is kind of the, the meeting place. Now, it may be a long table. Like my family, we had you know, a couple tables stretched out and made one long table. Maybe it's just a, a table with you and your spouse. Maybe it's a TV tray with, with you and a friend or a coffee table, or whatever it is. But you have a table or something that you gather around for fellowship and that you sit and that you eat. You enjoy each other's company. You begin to talk about the things that are going on, the things that you've maybe been doing throughout the year and how things have gone since the last Thanksgiving, what's changed, what's, what's coming uh, in this next year. And you begin to just talk and communicate and fellowship. It's just a great time of being able to relate and to build uh, relationships with one another. But it's all centered around that table. Now, why this is important for us today is we're going to look at a passage out of 1 Chronicles 16. And 1 Chronicles is not a passage, uh, a book that you hear preached out of a lot. Uh, but today, out of 1 Chronicles 16, uh, is David. And David has uh, the Ark of the Covenant. Now, I'm not talking about like this made up like Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones kind of Ark. I'm talking like the real Ark of the Covenant. And why this is important for us is that the Ark of the Covenant is a, it's a chest in a sense, okay? And it's a chest in the way that uh, it was designed and built by a guy of the name of Bezalel. And Bezalel made it of acacia wood. And acacia wood's not like a fancy wood. It's not some really, you know, nice, it's actually more of like a shrub kind of a thing. That, but he made, makes this, uh, this, this chest, and it's called the Ark of the Covenant. And why it's important is because in, it's not the Ark itself and what it looks like, but it's what's actually inside the Ark. And that's that there are the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments that, that Moses was given by God. And they keep them in this ark. Now, why this is even more important is because inside you have the, the two uh, the tablets of the, uh, of the commandments, but you have the top of that. And the top of that is called the mercy seat. In a sense, this is kind of the, the tabletop, so to speak. But on this mercy seat, you also have two cherubim on the mercy seat. Now, the cherubim, uh, if you don't know your, your cherubim, seraphim type things, let me just tell you real quick. A cherubim uh, is kind of the, the little chubby child uh, with the wings. Like, that's what the cherub is, cherubim is. And there's two, there's two of them sitting there, uh, positioned, stationed on top of the ark. 
And there in that place, at that spot, is where uh, the presence of God is manifested, where, it, where he is that. So they would use this point this, this, to meet uh, around this and to come and to talk to God, to be able to communicate with God. This ark symbolizes a table. And it symbolizes the table in the way that people would meet around it and they would talk and they would communicate and they would relate. They would give thanks. They would sacrifice and they would give offerings to God. Now, we're going to start off here uh, in 1 Chronicles 16 uh, with David. And it says this in 1 Chronicles 16, verse 1. And they brought in the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord and distributed to all of Israel, both men and women, to each a loaf of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. Then he appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord to invoke, to thank, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was the chief, and second to him were Zechariah, Jael, Shemiramoth, Jehiel, Mattathiah, Eliab, Benaiah, Obed-Edom, and Jael, who were to play harps and lyres. Asaph was to sound the cymbals, and Benaiah and Jehaziel, the priests, were to blow trumpets regularly before the ark of the covenant of God. Then on that, day, first, on that day, David first appointed that thanksgiving be sung to the Lord by Asaph and his brothers. Right here in this passage of scripture, we have uh, David who has uh, rounded up uh, his people. And he's appointed people to basically kind of to form this, uh, this worship band in a sense. Uh, but the, ultimately, they are meeting around this, this ark. And they're meeting around this ark, and the reason that they're meeting around it is because the Ark of the Covenant uh, was actually where they, as he talks about with the sacrifices and the burnt offerings, where they would actually sacrifice the animal that they were, that they were sacrificing. They would take the blood of that animal, and they would actually smear it or you know, apply it to the, to the ark. And as they did that, they did that to uh, celebrate or to the reconciliation of, of, their, you know, of them, of their peace between humanity and God. So they would take this point right here where they had this, uh, this ark, and they would smear the blood. And then what they would do is they would take the, the actual meat or the flesh of those animals that they sacrificed, and they would eat. They would eat them uh, just like we ate you know, turkey over the last couple of days. They would sit around the ark. Uh, it, it's kind of like uh, sitting as guests at God's table, in a sense, right here with this ark. And they would sit around it, and that they would have this, this meal together. It says that they gave him a portion of meat. Uh, it says bread. It says a cake of raisins. Uh, you know, we have, uh, you know, maybe turkey and some rolls and, you know, pecan pie or whatever it is that you're, you're sweet or whatever it is your thing. Uh, but you sit around and they were having this meal. And it says that David, uh, they gave thanksgiving. You know, maybe you thought it was the pilgrims and the Indians. No, it was long before that they were given thanksgiving, right? The wrong before that they were having these meals together. So what we can see uh, in this passage of Scripture, first of all, if you are uh, expecting a child, there's some great names in here uh, for you uh, to pick from. So make sure you, you know, usually when a, a, a pastor gets up and starts to preach and then starts to read these names about this point, when they're realizing and reading them, they're like, I should have picked a different passage of Scripture uh, instead of having to <laughs> say all these names. Uh, but what we can see is that these people invoke God, meaning they call on God, they thank God, and then they ultimately praise God. In this moment, these people, as they gather around uh, the Ark of the Covenant, they form this, this worship band, and they begin to rock it out, right? Like, our God is greater or something like that. I don't know. No, what they do is they actually begin to play these instruments, and they begin to sing and play this song that David himself wrote. It's a song of thanks or a song of thanksgiving that David writes, and right here, they begin to play it, and they begin to sing it. 
And that's what happens over these next verses, from verse 8 through the end of verse 36, is that they are playing this song that David has written. And why this is important for us today is because David, in these verses, gives us the hows and the whys of giving thanks. And that's what I want us to focus on uh, today. Um, But I want to start with this. What are some reasons that we usually give thanks? And the first one is this, number one, for things that are done. We will give thanks for, three, for things that are done. People do things for us, and we thank them for it. Somebody serves me, I'm going to thank them for it. Somebody does something for me, I'm going to thank them for it. And the way that they uh, do or provide me with something, I'm going to thank them for it. And I would say that you all would be in that same boat, that if somebody does something for you, you're going to thank them for it. If they provide you with something or serve you in a way, you're going to thank them. I would even include that if you were uh, for things in general, things that you have. We would be thankful for the things that we have, right? The things, uh, you know, a home to, to go to, uh, food at our table, you know, clothes on our back, a job, money in our, in our bank account, whatever it may be, that we're thankful for those things as well. You see, David says here uh, in verse 12, he says, Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and judgments that he has uttered. Remember the wondrous works. Remember his miracles and his judgments that he has uttered. So what about thanking God for what he has done? This is something I think a lot of us do. We are always very quick to be able to thank God for the things that he has done for us. Thank you, God, uh, for providing me with, uh, with this situation or providing me with this or providing me with these people in my life. But his wondrous works and his miracles, the things that we see him do in maybe others, other people's lives, are we so uh, thankful for the way that he works in everybody's life, not just our own? To get away from maybe like a, a self-mindset of, of what he's doing for me and to think, man, look what he's doing in somebody else's life. God, thank you for doing that in their life. But the second thing is this. Another reason that we usually give thanks for is for who people are. Who people are. People like our spouse, our parents, uh, children, friends. You see, we're all th- very thankful for somebody because of who they are to us. Right, Because you might have uh, your spouse, your husband, or your wife. You are very thankful because they are your husband, because they are your wife. But they might not mean or be anything to someone else who's like, oh, you know, I, I don't, I'm not really thankful for them because they're not anything to me. But to each one of us, you have some people in your life that you are thankful for because of who they are to you. For me, I'm thankful for my wife, my wife Lori. I'm very thankful for her and, and just our marriage, and, but I'm thankful for who she is. Our, our new little baby, Carly, who's going to be four months old next week, and she's getting huge. Well, huge, like she's gigantic, right? You know, like four months old, like, I mean, it's crazy how big she's gotten to us. You feel like she's like this big, but she's really like this big, you know? Like, uh, but like, we're, I'm thankful for her because of who she is a, as my daughter. You know, for me, I'm also thankful for my mom. My mom, who was a, a single parent from the time I was uh, five years old, uh, you know, all the way through high school for me, man, she did so much and sacrificed so much for me. I'm so thankful for her. I had so many experiences and was able to do so many things because of who she was to me and the way that she cared for me. So I'm very thankful for that. You see, so many of us uh, are thankful for so many people because of who they are, what they mean to us specifically. David says in verse 14 and 15, he says, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever, the word that he commanded. So what about thanking God for who he is? Right here in verse 14 and 15, he is the Lord our God. His judgments, remember his covenant forever. He's the Lord, right? He is uh, the authority, the power. He is the God. He is the Lord. And we are to be thankful because of who he is. But also it says that 
uh, it says his judgments are in all the earth. You see, he's the ultimate judge. He is the one that makes the decision that judges us uh, for all eternity. Man, be thankful for a God that loves you so much that he's provided a way for you to experience eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. Thank him for that. Thank him for being the judge that loves and the judge that cares. But also, uh, it says in this verse, to remember his covenant forever, because he is the covenant maker and the covenant keeper. You see, he has made a covenant with us through his son, Jesus Christ, who sacrificed his life, his blood and his body that was shed, combined with our decision to follow and to submit our life to him as Lord and Savior. When you bring those two things together, you have this covenant that ends up in a whole lot of great things and blessings for us. But it ends up being that we are brought into God's kingdom, brought into his family, when you bring those two things together. The next thing I want us to talk about today, right out of these verses, is this. Because these are the reasons that we usually give thanks. But how should we give thanks? How should we give thanks? In, uh, number one is to proclaim his glory and his works to all people. To proclaim it. Nothing shows thanks to someone more than to speak boldly and loudly and clearly about who they are and what they have done. You see, we need to proclaim him in every aspect of our lives. Whether it's in, the, uh, in, in, our, in our own homes, uh, in our own families, uh, at our jobs, at our school, just down the street, even in our own church, our own church building. Let's be able to proclaim him in every aspect of our lives. You see, so many of us, uh, we will claim God as our Lord and Savior, but we're very quick to not proclaim him to the people that we meet, the people that we encounter, those who know nothing maybe about Jesus, maybe have never even heard the name of Jesus Christ. In verse 24, David says, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. You see, if we are truly thankful, then nothing would stop us from sharing the gospel. You think that if you truly are thankful for who God is and for what he has done, nothing would stop you from, from sharing that, from telling others about that. Because if you think about this, your own, uh, your own spouse or your own children, uh, if, the, if your own child does something great, let's say your child wins the spelling bee, I don't know. Man, you tell all sorts of people that, man, my kid's the best speller in third grade. You know, like you're telling everybody that you can meet about what your child has done and you proclaim it and you want everybody to know about it. But do you have the same feeling when you like, man, God saved me from my sin and has given me eternal life. Do you want to go and tell everybody else that too? Do you proclaim that? like you would your, when your child does something, something cool or some, wins some award, or maybe something that your spouse does for you, or the, something that your spouse has achieved, and you want to tell everybody because you want them to know how great your spouse is. But do you want everybody to know how great your God is too? See, when he says this, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the people, what we need to do so often, well, right now what we do so often is that we are quick to pray for God to set up these divine appointments, these opportunities for us to share the gospel. God, give me a chance to share the gospel uh, with, my, with my dad, with my child, with my coworker that I have. God, give me this chance. You know what? We also need to be looking for those opportunities because we want God to set it up where they basically come up to us and ask us, so do you know how to get to heaven through Jesus Christ? And then we want to be able to answer. Like that's how we, easy we want it to be, don't we? What we need to do is to be looking for these opportunities to seek them out, to not only be praying for God to set up these appointments, these opportunities, but to actually look for them and then to take advantage of the opportunity that comes. When we sit down and it's just us and that coworker at, uh, at a table eating lunch and just have the chance to be able to share with them what God's done in our life, 
because we are so thankful for what he's done in our life that we want that coworker to experience the same thing. Number two is that we worship him. Worship is this demonstration of, of our thankfulness to God. Uh, it's a physical demonstration because we sing. Uh, maybe we kind of bounce around. Maybe we clap. Maybe we raise our hands. It's this physical demonstration, but also it's a spiritual demonstration because it's us connecting and communicating with God through song, through music. We show our humility and our submission when we worship God. You know, if you think about uh, when you are worshiping and sometimes, you know, we just sit back and we listen. Sometimes we sing. You know, we do all these different things. But the moment, uh, for me, uh, submission and humility comes, uh, you know, raising my hand or raising both hands. Like, I'm not raising, you know, Pastor Chris doesn't raise, you know, his hands like Clemson field goals, Clemson touchdowns. Like, that's not what he's thinking. Like, thank you, God, for Clemson. Now, he might be praying that later on. But he's not worshiping and thinking, you know, man, Clemson scored touchdowns, you know. And he's not like thinking, you know, high five to Jesus. I'm going to give a high. No, he's thinking this is a moment of submission. This is a moment of, of humbling myself and submitting to God. Because it's a posture of that. It's a physical position of saying, you know what? I'm not, I'm not worthy. I'm not, I'm not worthy of what you have blessed me with in so many ways. God, I'm thankful for who you are. We worship. Verse 25 says, For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and he is to be feared above all gods. You see, he is to be feared above all gods. If you were to be asked, what do you worship besides God? Most of us in here are like, well, nothing. I don't, you know, God's the only one I worship. But I would venture to say this, that we are, are not correct in that. Now, we may not sit down and sing and praise and raise our hands to certain people or to certain things, but we definitely worship other things. We worship money, worship jobs, status, power, possessions. We worship these things because we allow them to drive our life. We allow them to make decisions for us. We allow those things to push us. We may not sit there and sing and actually physically worship them like we were doing just a few moments ago, but we let them drive us, drive our life. You see, we often worship others and things out of fear for losing them or out of fear or all of them or who they are or what they are. This verse says, he is to be feared above all gods, gods with a little g, all these other gods, all these small gods that we have put into position as gods, such as money, such as other people, such as all these different things. But it says that he is to be feared above all of these things. We submit our lives to these, uh, to these jobs, to these money, to these possessions, but we, and we let these things make the decisions for our lives when we need to rely on God, who is the one that can make the decisions, the one that is the, the flawless God, the one that is the perfect God, and we need to allow him to make the decisions for us, allow him to drive us and to push us in a way, to keep him as our focus. The third thing is this, ascribe to him. A scribe is not a word that we go throwing around a lot this day and age, uh, but it means this, to attribute something to someone or something. To tell, to basically to say this individual or this person or this thing is something, something about that individual. Uh, like LeBron James is a great basketball player, right? Pastor Chris is a, is a great pastor, right? Uh, Carrie Underwood is a, is, a, is, a, is a singer. You know, Miley Cyrus is a freak, right? Like all these different things. Like we ascribe things to people all the time, right? We're always given attributes. We're always like, man, you know, my son's a great speller or my kid's a great soccer player or my husband, uh, you know, looks good in a suit. I don't know. Whatever it is that you think, you ascribe these things, you attribute these things to people, but also to stuff. What we have here is that we have God who is perfect God, creator God, Savior God, and we are to attribute so many things to him, so many 
uh, descriptions, but also some physical things as well. You see verse 28 and 29, it says, uh, David's in his song, he says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. So what do we need to ascribe or what do we need to attribute to God? Right here in this verse, a couple of things are his glory and his strength, or even the glory due to his name. You see, he is the glorious one. He is the powerful one, the strong one. But his name in itself brings glory. Just the name of God, Lord, it brings glory to itself. But also our families and our offerings. Right here in these verses as we read uh, that we are to ascribe our family to God. We are to attribute our family that we have. The people in our life, we are to attribute those to God. We are to ascribe them to him because they're ultimately blessings from him. The reason that we have a family like that or have people in our life, friends in our life, is because he has blessed us with those individuals, with, those, with that family. And he is saying, what, we need, what David's telling us is that we need to ascribe those to God, like, God, you are God of these people. You are God of this family. You are God of these people that are in my life that mean so much to me. But also our offerings. It says to bring an offering. Our money, our resources, our time, all these different things that we are to offer those up to God as a sacrifice because ultimately our offerings and our family, they belong to God anyways. They belong to him. He's blessed us with these things. And now we are to attribute, to ascribe these things to him. Now, uh, talking about the how we should give thanks, give God thanks. And we talked about the reasons of why, why we usually will give thanks What I want us to look at now is why we should give God thanks. Why we should give God thanks. And the first one is this, is that he is good. He is good. He is perfect goodness. He is perfect love. He is perfection right there. His love is a perfect love. It's an unconditional love. In verse 34, it actually says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. He's actually quoting Psalm 106, verse 1 right here uh, when he says this, but to give thanks to the Lord because he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Steadfast. It's resolute. It's unwavering. It's right here we have this love that endures all things. It's a love that cannot be taken away. It cannot be stolen from you. It's an unconditional love that will last, that will endure. Now, right now we have um, maybe people in our, in our lives maybe even people in this room, that you have a, a, a family that, you know, that has love for one another, but maybe you or someone in your family has, in a sense, sinned their way out of the family. They have done uh, so many things, or they have done something that the family uh, has basically kind of excluded themselves from that individual, or maybe that individual is not a fan of what the family's done, and the family has, you know, they've separated. Maybe that's you. But you know what? Let me tell you this today, that you can never sin your way out of God's family. He loves you. His love is going to endure. It can't be taken away. You can't do so many sins that's going to pull you out of the hands of God because his love endures. It's a steadfast love. It's an unwavering. It's a resolute love. The second thing is this. He is the God of our salvation. All people are in need of a Savior because all people are sinners. Every one of us is a sinner. We need a Savior. We need salvation, and that's provided only through the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the only way to get into heaven. It is the only way to be forgiven of our sin. What David says right here in verse 35, he says, Save us, O God of our salvation. He says, Save us. 
God of our salvation. Not only is David calling on God to save him, but he is also ascribing the attribute of God of salvation to God himself. He's saying, God of salvation, you are the one, you are the top, you are the king of salvation. No one else can save like you save God. You see, we will find ways to put people in positions where we think they are the top, where we think nothing else can beat them, nothing else can defeat them. And then something happens and they drop down and somebody else takes their spot. Let me tell you this, when it comes to the God of salvation, God himself will never be replaced. He's the only one that can save. Salvation only comes through him. You know, over the last, uh, over the last five years, uh, you might have been able to make a saying uh, like this, uh, that win for us, O coach of victory. Now, over the last five years, win for us, O coach of victory. To who? Steve Spurrier, right? There are a lot of people in this world, or in this state specifically, that will, uh, have been maybe been saying that, like, man, he, he's the one that's going to lead us to victory. Boom, boom, boom. Five years in a row, here we go. But then what happens yesterday is they lose. You see, he got replaced as the coach of victory yesterday. And man, I'm not trying to spark a Carolina Clemson thing here, but what I'm trying to say is that there are a lot of people that put a lot of faith in people and things because we think, man, they can't be beat, they can't be stopped. And it just takes one thing, one time, and they'll drop. You see, God is the God of salvation, and no one is ever going to defeat him. No one is ever going to take his place as the God of salvation. It's not going to happen because he is perfect. He is God. Now, number three, he is our deliverer. He is our deliverer. We all need delivering. We all need rescuing. We all need to be set free uh, from different issues that are plaguing us. Uh, David is actually acknowledging God as the only one that can do it. He's acknowledging him as the deliverer. He says in verse 35, gather and deliver us from among all the nations. You see, he is calling to God to rescue him and his people from their enemies. He's saying, rescue me, God. Rescue me and my people. Take us, gather us, and deliver us out of the hands of my enemy. Now, some of us in here were like, man, I don't, I don't like have enemies. I don't, you know, I mean, people I don't like, I don't really have like enemies. No, we all have enemies. They may not be actual people, but we have things going on in our life that are enemies between us and our relationship with God. They're trying to stop us. Maybe it's a marriage struggle. Maybe it's financial problems. Maybe it's stress or depression like Pastor Chris preached on last week. Maybe it's just a relationship struggle or issue that we have. See, we all have things in our life that are enemies. When we let those enemies take us on and defeat us is when we get pulled further and further away from our relationship with God. And David knows that. Man, if anybody knows that, David, man, look at his life and how many times he was separated from, from God. He started going a different direction because of a, of a sin, of, a, of an enemy or a, a lust or a passion in his life, and it pulled him away from God. And we need to combat these enemies with one thing, and that is God as our deliverer. Number four, he is holy and he is glorious. Holy meaning he is worthy of respect and devotion. He inspires reverence and thanks. He's worthy of these things. He is holy. He is glorious. Verse 35 says, we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. You see, the name of God is worthy of thanks alone. Just the name of God. Do you realize this? If God is God as we know him, if he had never sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross, never made a way for us to be able to be forgiven of our sins, to be able to get into heaven with him for all eternity, if he had never done that, and he's just God, you realize he's still worthy of our worship? He's still worthy of our praise and our thanksgiving because he's God, because he's perfection. He's still worthy of that. So what we need to realize is that our thanksgiving is not just dependent on what God has done for us, but it's also, and more importantly, dependent on God for who he is. 
in these verses when it says this, uh, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise, to sit in God's glory, to praise him for who he is, because he is holy, because he is glorious. Number five, he is everlasting. He is eternal, and he has chosen to offer us an eternity with him. What better reason do we need than to give thanks? Now, this is something that he has done for us, but because he is everlasting, that's worthy of worship, worthy of thanksgiving. But he has offered us a way to be a part of that, to be a part of the everlasting, to be a part of the eternity. Man, what a great way to show thanks to God than because of the fact that he has saved you from the pits of hell and pulled you in to the glory of heaven. In verse 36, David says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed, to be able to, to make holy or to recognize as holy. We're ascribing to God holiness right here. We're attributing it to him, saying, God, you are holy. You are perfect. You are righteous right here in these words. We're recognizing him as holy and eternal, and we're thanking him for eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. See, many of us sitting right here in this room and the friends and the family and the coworkers that we have in this community or in this country, we have people right now that have never placed their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They're simply relying on other things to save them. Simply relying on other people or other things to actually deliver them from their problems. Man, if they're stressed and they're depressed, Pastor Chris talked about it last week, that they maybe they are somebody that eats more or somebody that buys or shops more. They're looking to things to be able to deliver them from their problems. And God is the great deliverer. And he is the one that is all-powerful. He is the goodness. He is the perfection. But he's God of our salvation. This time of year during Thanksgiving, this weekend is just, uh, I love it. This weekend of Thanksgiving. But I want to encourage you, maybe it's today, this week, over these next few weeks as you get uh, ready for, uh, for Christmas, that when you sit down at your table, you gather around with your family, with your spouse, friends, whoever it is, that you offer up thanks to God. And that maybe you change a little bit of the focus and be like, you know what, God, don't, I don't want to thank you necessarily for all the stuff you've given me, but God, I want to thank you for who you are. Because I wouldn't even be here. I wouldn't have the blessings in my life without you being this God. We need to attribute those things to him. We need to ascribe those things to him. And I want to leave you with one last thought, that we must give thanks to our great God because of what he does, but most importantly because of who he is. Is that the reason that you give thanks to God? Or are you simply giving thanks out of a feeling of duty, responsibility? Or are you giving thanks because you're truly thankful for what he's done? Let's pray. Father God, this morning, uh, Lord, just uh, grateful uh, to be in this place. Father, we are all thankful uh, for the way that you have blessed us. Father, for the way that you answer prayers. Father, for the way that you communicate and talk with us. But God, right now, I just want us all to come before you with words on the lips of each one of us. God, that we would sit here and we would describe to you your holiness, your righteousness, your glory, your mercy. Father, your praise. You're the God of salvation. You are our great deliverer. You are perfect love and goodness. Father, you are our Savior. But Father, most importantly, you are God. You're the one that created this entire world. Father, you have worked miracles and wondrous works, as this passage of Scripture said, in so many ways, in so many people's lives, in so many situations. Father, this weekend, when a lot of us are thinking about the things that we are thankful for, I pray that we realize, God, that we are thankful to you for those things. 
That, God, that we have family, we have friends, we have jobs and possessions, and we have food on our table, and we have money, and we have all these things because you have blessed us with them. But, God, I would pray that we would also just ascribe to you our family, ascribe to you our possessions, ascribe to you our offerings. God, these are things that we have uh, been blessed with by you, that you have made us a steward of, and the Father, we need to use them to glorify you speak boldly and to proclaim loudly who you are, to worship you. Father, we are just uh, just here in this place this morning. Thankful for your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us, who gives us forgiveness of sins. Father, who brings us out of the pits of hell and into the glory of heaven. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.